So we've been in this series about what do I do about, and um, in the midst of this series, we're talking about different issues that we face today, and today we're going to talk about the issue of politics. <laughs> yeah, you should see some of your mouths drop right there. It's like, yeah, Brad, you're going there? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, if you've been around here a while, uh, you may remember a couple of years ago, the Sunday after the last election, I got up here and I started out my message with this, you know, I have a problem and here's my problem. And my problem that I talked about was I have a group of friends who absolutely love Jesus and they've been praying for a red wave to sweep across our country in this election cycle. My, that's not my problem. My problem is I have another group of friends who are followers of Jesus, and they were praying for a blue wave to sweep across our country. And my question at that time, because this was after the election, was um, whose prayers were answered? Whose prayers were answered? Who did God listen to? What we know clearly is that politics divide. Surprise, surprise. But the hard thing for us to grasp, at least for me, is how politics, politics today divides families and even longtime friends. I know of a couple who um, their kids have restricted the amount of time they get to spend with their grandkids because they're afraid of what they will teach their kids and they have a different view of politics. Churches divide because of politics. I mean, just your response to the fact that I was going to preach on politics and talk about that, it, it just emphasizes what we, what we know. People do leave churches because of maybe something the pastor said or didn't say. Even friendships become dicey because we hold a different view of politics. Somehow, the culture of this day has convinced us that our political tribe or our political party is more important than our family in France. Why is that the way it is? As I was thinking about it, some thoughts came to my mind. I, I think some of the reasons for that political divide is, um, first, we, we recognize that we all are made for relationships. I mean, that's, that's why Eve was created. It wasn't good for Adam to be alone. We are supposed to be in relationships. So, first of all, we, we gravitate towards other people because we long for relationships. So that's a good thing. We want to be in community with other people. The second reason I think there is maybe some divide in our culture has become the way it is, is because we have become more focused on me, not me, you're not focused on me, but we become focused on ourselves, 
and our desire, my desires, my wants, my freedoms, my rights, my, my, my. And when somebody we're close to or not so close to, their my, my, my is different than my, my. Are we getting confused yet? There's a conflict. Third, as a result of that, Fear and anxiety has begun to rule in our lives. Fear and anxiety <clears throat> that um, somebody's going to take my rights away. Somebody's going to take my freedoms away. If this party is in power or if this candidate wins, then I'm going to lose something. And fourth, our culture is, emphasizes that power and money are the most important ways to protect our rights and freedoms. You have to be in power. If you are not in power, then you will lose. And, and those are just my reasons off the top of the head. I didn't read about those anywhere. That was just stuff that I was thinking about. I was, I was praying and studying and prepping for this week. And as a result of this, our long to be together, but we navigate and try to be together with people who have a like mind. And because we just hang out with people who are like me and my people are different than these people, and then there's this power struggle because we have different desires for rights and freedom, there comes this divide and sometimes that divide has, gets into families and churches and friendships. There's a great book that I recommend. It's called Truth Over Tribe. Pledging allegiance to the lamb, not to the donkey or the elephant. And in this book, um, the authors talk about tribalism. Tribalism are those groups that I mentioned that are people who are just like us. They believe what we believe. They think the same way we think. They live the same way we live. And we get together in our tribe and we think our tribe provides us protection, and so we stay in that tribe, and we don't venture out to get to know somebody in the other tribe. But the crazy thing is, the more I spend with just people in my tribe, the more fear and anxiety increases in my life. Because the more I look at the other tribe, and I vilify them, And I blame them for the unhappiness in my life, whatever that may be. And anxiety and fear rises. And the more we fear and the more anxiety arises, the more we become like um, a raccoon stuck in a corner being trapped. We lash out at the other People And when we lash out verbally, we create a greater divide. 
And as I've mentioned before, our media knows this, and so they tap into that fear and that anxiety, and they go after our limbic part of our brain, the emotional part of our brain, and get us to fear more. And so whether it's CNN or Fox or whoever you listen to, there's an element of their, of their newscasting that is fear-related. crazy thing is, Facebook, which owns Instagram and a bunch of other things nowadays, and Google, which owns the world, um, they make their money off of our fear and our division. You see, for Facebook and Google, they're, we're, the, we're the product we're the product they're trying to sell. They sell advertising. They get their money from advertisements. And they're trying to sell us. We're the product. So they do everything. They have algorithms and all this stuff. You've, you've heard this conversation before from other, from other people. But everything they do is to get all the information they can to get to know you. And they want to get to know you so that they can send you information to keep you on their platform because the longer you're on the platform, the more advertising dollars they can sell. And what they have learned is if they promote divisiveness and fear, you will stay longer. This is all research-based stuff. And you can find it in this book, Truth Over Tribe. So the crazy thing is, if you're a conservative and you open up conservative links, they're going to send you more and more conservative stuff and even more sketchy conservative stuff until you get to a point, right? But even if you're a liberal, liberal they're, and you open liberal stuff, they're going to send you more and more liberal stuff. They don't want you to read the other side because then you'll stop. The authors have this to say about how to get rid of tribalism. Here's the key to relationships that can't be broken by tribalism. Share a love that's rooted in something stronger and more everlasting than today's tribal boundaries, Jesus. Jesus' followers don't have the same politics, wealth, race, and gender, but they all call him Lord. You see, in the kingdom of God, in the church, it should be the most diverse place in the world. Politics and gender and wealth and race should never be a problem in the church because we have something or someone greater, and his name is Jesus. Did you notice this morning how much worship was focused on Jesus? Jesus. Jesus. Unity and being oneness of mind is weaves all throughout the Bible. 
whether it's in John 17 where Jesus is praying that we would be one, just like the Father and Son are one, or it's Paul and other authors in numerous places in their letters talk about unity. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul goes, I implore you to be united, to be of one mind and one heart. I implore you. But our culture focuses on tribes and division. So, what do I do about politics? To find the answer to this question, we're going to be sitting in the book of Philippians. There's many different passages we could jump on, but because we're memorizing from Philippians 4, and uh, um, we're going to stay in Philippians we're going to look specifically at Philippians chapter 3. And before we get to verse 17, is what, which we're going to look at, I want to give us a little context of what Paul is talking about here. First of all, Paul is talking about, it's interesting in chapter 3, verse 1, he starts out, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. So he's, he's saying rejoice in the Lord there. And there is a theme in Philippians that, we need to, to hold to as we look at it all, and that is a an heart and an attitude of rejoicing. Rejoice all the time. Rejoice again. And I say again, rejoice. But Paul is cautioning the church here in Philippians to watch out for Judaizers. What are Judaizers? Judaizers are Jewish Christians who are requiring or are trying to require these new Gentile Christians to follow the Jewish laws, to be circumcised, make sure you follow all the, the uh, feasts and the holidays and all the kind of stuff. And Paul is cautioning, hey, don't, don't it's, that's about the flesh. It's not about the flesh. It's about Christ and Christ alone. If, if you're going to fit into a tribe, fit into the tribe of Jesus, and that's not about the flesh. That's not about... Uh, circumcision or any of uh, other of those kind of things. And then Paul then tells, hey, if there's anybody who should be a Judaizer, it is Paul, because Paul was a Pharisee, he was a Jew among Jews, he was amazing, but yet Paul considered all that stuff as nothing compared to Christ. And so Paul tells the church in Philippi, to press on and take hold of Christ, that freedom comes through Christ. Forget everything else. Everything that leave behind. Anything else that you thought was important is not important compared to Christ. And then he gets to verse 17, and it says this, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. This, this means those who are striving for Christ, that's your model. Follow after them. If they are tribal and political, because I'm focusing on politics today, don't follow people who are tribal and political. Follow those who are Jesus. The power is in the resurrection. That's, that's, that's the thing for Paul. The power is not in the politics. The power is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 18. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, 
even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Notice the emotion here. Paul is saying many times, he's, he's had to repeat this over and over. Many times Paul has told him, hey, don't follow that example of the world. Follow my example. Those people who are following after the example of the world are becoming enemies of the cross of Christ. And I'll talk a little bit more about the enemies of the cross in just a minute. Verse 19, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach or their appetites. And their glory is in the shame, their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Contrasted to Paul, who is going after Christ and the cross. These enemies of the gospel are going after earthly things. Their appetites. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, that's God. God is the one that placed Jesus next to Him and put everything under His power and His control. That power will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. The power, people, is in the cross. It's in the resurrection. Transformation happens in the cross and the resurrection. So what does it mean to live as an enemy of the cross? These people who Paul wept for um, are not atheists. They're not ones who are denying the cross They're not ones who are denying the resurrection. What they are doing is they are their life is being is focused on responding to the world the way the world responds. It's a diversion away from trust in the cross and the power of the resurrection. The story of the cross presents a way for us to walk as humble servants. It's setting aside our freedoms and our rights so that we can run the race that is set before us, so that we can proclaim the good news of Jesus, so that we can proclaim the power of the resurrection of the cross. The one who is an enemy of the cross is the one who avoids the suffering that may come by setting aside my rights and my freedoms so that I can proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. The enemy of the cross is filled with envy and selfish ambition, which James calls wisdom of this world even demonic. The enemy of the cross is trying to serve two masters. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6.24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And I know in this text, in this context, it's more about treasures, but the principles are the same. Whether it's storing up treasures, yes, you can't serve two masters, storing up treasures on earth and and serving Christ, so too you cannot serve two masters politically. 
Either you are serving Christ in His kingdom, or you're serving your political party. Jesus has to be number one. It is Christ in His kingdom, my political party, and my political policies down here. Some people say, well, you can do both. No, you can't do both. As soon as you put them both together, you are trying to serve two masters and you can't. Serve Christ in His kingdom. Policies, political parties, second. Paul also tells tells us to be like-minded. So in contrast to the enemies of the cross who are not like-minded, Paul challenges his church to be like-minded. In verse 315, I'll reread this. He says this, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things having the same mind on things. And if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. The verb here is all about like-mindedness. Enemies of the cross promote division. They focus on self. And by their actions deny the power of the cross. Like-minded focus on Jesus serving others with humility, set-asiding... set aside their own freedoms and their own desires and their own wants. Now, it's not bad to have your own desires, but they are submitted to Christ. This is a theme all through the book of Philippians. Way back in chapter 2, it says this, Therefore, if if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... Unity, you see it there? Any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded. Sorry, I didn't move that on. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Do you see it? It's right there. Politics. Who is my master? Even if you jump down to Philippians 4, In verse 2, Paul pleads with these two women, Idiodia and Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. They're they're in conflict. And Paul Paul is telling the church, help these two women to not be in conflict, to be like-minded. The contrast to the enemy of the cross is this. Be citizens of heaven. Paul reminds the church in Philippi that they are first and foremost citizens of heaven, not enemies of the cross. This is a hard thing to do, but it must be done. We must always remember that we are citizens of heaven first and foremost. 
Even in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about that we are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That is what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to bring Jesus in the world, introduce people to Jesus so that they can be reconciled with God. That's our goal. That's our ministry. That's our pride. That's what we're moving for. And then Paul calls us ambassadors. What is an ambassador? Ambassador is one who lives in a different country representing his own. As followers of Jesus, as ambassadors of Christ, we are to live in this world representing the kingdom of God. That's what we're supposed to do. So, let's get back to our question. So what do we do about politics? I'm going to ask you a hard question. And the question is this. Are your politics causing you to be an enemy or an ambassador of the cross of Christ? Let me read that again. Are your politics causing you to be an enemy or an ambassador of the gospel of Christ? What are you talking about, Brad? I'm going to give you three examples. There's probably many more, but these are ones that came to my mind. The difference between an enemy and an ambassador of the gospel of Christ. An enemy, my political agenda is more important to me than building relationships with others to impact people with the love of Jesus. That's an enemy of the gospel, of Christ of the cross. An ambassador, my goal is to love others and proclaim Jesus first and foremost. My political agenda is a distant second. An enemy, I speak out against policies and character qualities of other party members and don't speak out against my own party and their flaws politi- in policies and in character. An ambassador, I speak out against all policies and all character issues of all political leaders, no matter their political party. An enemy of the cross, every time there's an election, fear and anxiety increase because I'm afraid I'm going to lose power and I'm going to lose my freedom and rights. An ambassador, I rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. I let my gentleness be evident to all because I know the Lord is near. I don't get anxious about anything but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving I let all my requests be known to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding keeps my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. 
I could give other examples. The idea is that when it comes to politics, as a follower of Jesus, my priority is bringing reconciliation, God's reconciliation, into the world. It's proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. It's putting my faith in the power of the resurrection. It's putting my faith in God. And yes, I will talk politics, and I will talk policies that don't line up with Scripture, and I will talk about character issues that don't line up in, in Scripture. But when I talk about them, I will not limit my conversation because of a political party. I will call out people on both sides. And I will celebrate people on both sides. That means if I'm conservative and the liberals have a good idea that lines up with Scripture, I will say yes to that idea. That is an ambassador. That is being like-minded. So, in two weeks, I will vote. I will vote for my the people that line up best with me. I will encourage everybody else to vote. And then, in a couple weeks, after the election, on Sunday morning, we will talk about politics again, but we will then talk about, now what do I do as a follower of Jesus that these policies have been passed or these people have been elected, both the people I like and the people I don't like. Because let us remember, our faith is in Jesus Christ. Our power is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our mission is to proclaim Jesus Christ to the world. And our task at hand is to live as one with Christ. Let's pray. Mm, Jesus, um, forgive us, Father, when we allow things to cause us to divide. Um, we're all guilty of that. I, I'm just as guilty of that as anybody else. So forgive me, forgive us when we allow division to creep into our church, into our families, when we allow anxiety and fear to rule rather than faith in you. Thank you, God, that you raised Jesus and you seated him at your right hand and Everything is under your authority. Everything is under your power. And today we choose to put our faith in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.